0: And now our second reading for today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, or our second text for today comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 11, beginning with the second verse. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. Most holy and gracious God, send your spirit among this in this place and most especially in our hearts, that in the words to come we may hear your word. Amen. Well, we are now in the third Sunday of Advent. So that means it's the third Sunday In my sermon series on preparing the way, preparing the way for the adventus of God, for the arrival of God in our in our lives, and I started the first week by talking about for us to prepare the way for uh, the coming of God in the child in the manger in Bethlehem and also into our lives. The first step of preparing the way is actually uh, to get ready to wait for it. That. So often in our lives, we carry on doing the things things we normally do. If we're actually going to meet God in a transformative way, we have to look for it. We have to wait for it. We have to be prepared. We have to know what that means. And then last week, I talked about uh, a second theme as we prepare for Advent, and that was the theme of repentance. And I pointed out that the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And again, that has its roots in the Hebrew word shuv. It means to turn, to change your life. And specifically, Uh, saying that we need to turn inward to ourselves as we prepare. That there is an inward spiritual journey that we're all on, and that's something that God calls us to do. And now today, uh, we take the next step in our Advent journey, and we consider the person of Jesus. After all, Advent is about Jesus. He is the reason for the season, yes? Yes. So the question is, what impact does he have? Why do we need to focus on Jesus? The text we have for today comes in an interesting place in the Gospel of Matthew. You have John the Baptist who is in prison. And he's sitting there in prison and he asks his disciples to go ask Jesus if he is the Messiah, if he is the one or there is one to come. It might strike you as odd that he was asked this question. "Why Why would John the Baptist ask this? Uh, well, the reality is that John the Baptist is in prison and the Messiah is supposed to be a political Messiah, right? The Messiah is supposed to overturn the Romans. The Messiah is supposed to uh, set all things right. The Messiah is supposed to overturn those uh, Jews who were allied with the Romans and their overlords. And so here's John the Baptist sitting in prison and he's like, okay, so when's the Messiah coming? Hey, I shouldn't be in prison. If the Messiah is here, if things are overturned, I should be set free. So are you the Messiah, or should we wait for one to come? And then there's a response that Jesus says, go and tell them what you see. That the blind receive their sight, that the lame walk, that the dead are raised, that the, good, that the poor are receiving good news. Here you have John the Baptist's expectation of a Messiah, and then Jesus says, yeah, but maybe your expectation of a Messiah isn't really the right one. Maybe your expectation of Jesus is and that Christ isn't the one you should be looking for. Similarly, you see this. Uh, talk then with Jesus about the crowds and, and John the Baptist, where uh, the crowds again. He says to the crowds, he said, "What did you expect when you went in the wilderness? Did you expect everything to be great? Did you expect to go see this beautiful flowing fields with reeds blowing in the wind? Did you expect to see people in soft robes? No, you went out to see John the Baptist for something different. What are you expecting now?" Who is this person of Jesus? What's the Messiah? So this is what we are focusing on this Sunday. And in the past two Sundays, I have looked at three different sort of theological perspectives to help us in our, guide, in our, in our, in our turn on this. Um, and I'd like to take a look and see what they have to say about Jesus. So the first one uh, that I've talked about the last two weeks, the first person I've talked about is Anthony DeMello. Anthony DeMello, as I mentioned, is a Jesuit uh, who died in the 1980s, but was someone who was very well known for leading spiritual retreats. Um, And he wrote this book called Awareness that is sort of the culmination of a lot of his spiritual work. It's the writing down of one of his spiritual retreats. And DeMello has a very interesting perspective on Jesus. Uh, He tells a story at one point about, um, he's big on stories, on parables. And he tells this parable, this story of how, let's say, in prehistoric times, uh, there was someone who brought fire to the people. And he goes from place to place, to village to village, to community to community, bringing fire. And this fire has a transformative effect on the community. It gives them heat. It gives them the ability to cook food. And then he comes to a community, and here's this person bringing fire. And because he's bringing fire, people are, uh, he's getting a lot of attention. And those who are in the powers that be don't like this. So they end up taking the man who's bringing the fire, they beat him up, they crucify him, uh, and then they end up creating an image of fire that they tell people to worship. And this is what DeMello says is so often the case with religion. Religion becomes just that image. And DeMello's like, what we actually want to get at is the fire, not the sense of religion. Um, so So often when Jesus gets talked about in the church, it's all about an image of Jesus, not about Jesus himself. DeMello goes on further. He said, one, one mistake people make with Jesus is they try and imitate Jesus. They try and be like Jesus. DeMello says, this is uh, a pitfall we often run into, um, this whole imitation of Christ. And what he, what he means by this is, um, I'll give you an analogy. So I, when I was working as a chaplain at Harvard, one of the chaplains there was a guy named Greg Epstein. He was the humanist chaplain. And G- Greg wrote this book called Good Without God. Basically, Greg took the Judeo-Christian tradition and said, you can take out a series of morals from this tradition and live by those morals. No need to be a person of faith, right? And, of course, my pushback against people like Greg are, yeah, that might be true, but you're not actually reading the New Testament and Jesus. Jesus isn't just saying, go be a nice person. Jesus goes out and says, turn the other cheek. He says, "Uh, love your enemies. He says, give to whoever asks. He says, if someone asks you uh, for your coat, give give them your cloak as well. If uh, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Most of us don't even try to do that. DeMello is like, you're not Jesus. You're not going to be Jesus. The goal isn't to be Jesus. The goal is to learn from Jesus. And what DeMello says, what is Jesus? Jesus is someone who is awake. He's like, most people are sleeping. Most of us are sleeping. Most of us aren't really awake to the realities of the world. You're not really aware of what's going on. If you want to be someone who, who is a follower of Christ, you have to be someone who's awake. Only once you're awake do you then approach the world with compassion. You take situations as they are. You don't try and think in your head, what would Jesus do? You don't need to think that. You're aware. You immediately respond out of instinct. You immediately respond with compassion. So again... Who is Jesus? If you want to think about who is Jesus on this third Sunday in Advent, what are we waiting for? You're waiting for someone who's awake, who's aware. Are you ready to be awake? Is that what you want? The second uh, sort of theological perspective that I, we've been looking at is this one of Christian, ex- Christian existentialism, and specifically the writings of Paul Tillich. The way Tillich sees things is human beings suffer from separation. Fundamental problem with being a human is that you're estranged from yourself. That's the big issue. You're estranged from yourself. You're estranged from God, who is the ground of your being. You're estranged from your neighbor. Estrangement, separation, that's the issue. It's because you are estranged that, for instance, you suffer anxiety. Other people put expectations on you that you feel you can't live up to, that makes you anxious, that makes you maybe overly judgmental of other people. You're not comfortable in your own skin. You judge yourself too harshly. You judge others too harshly. It is this separation, this estrangement that leads to so much of your unhappiness in life. Your estrangement leads you to not be able to face, say, for instance, our finitude, our death, the weakness of our bodies. And so Tillich says if you actually want to get out of this estrangement what you're looking for is something new a new being that can lead you to something new a new way of a, a new way of existing is there a way out of this separation that we live in is there a way out of this world you see the stuff we want to do and we don't end up doing it how do we get out of it So Tillich says that Jesus is himself this new being Jesus is someone who was not separated who was whole <laughs> The thing about Jesus, according to Tillich, he's a human being like any other human being. The difference between Jesus and and, and other human beings is that he doesn't have that sense of existential estrangement. He's always in touch with God. He is whole. And as a result, when he responds in the world, he can respond out of someone who is responding out of wholeness. Out of being grounded in God. He doesn't have to have the same kind of fears or anxieties that so many of us suffer under. And so how do you mold your life after Jesus? You're someone who looks at his example, say, for instance, especially his humility is very big for Tillich, his ability to self-surrender. You look at the fact that his basic message is that you are reconciled to God. As I said last week, you have to accept that you are accepted. That's at the core of this Christian message of Jesus. And you have to be grasped by this new being. That the spiritual presence of God, the spiritual presence that is manifest in the new being, that spiritual presence, when it comes into your life and grasps you, that's when you yourself find wholeness. And that's what Jesus is about. So we've got these two perspectives. Do you like one of them? Do you prefer one or the other? Do you like the awake Jesus, the, the new being Jesus? Uh, you see any issues there? This is where our third perspective is actually kind of helpful. The third perspective I've been talking about is one of liberation Theology. Oh. important message. God's calling, you know, a little extra insight. I'll have to ask, what's, what's the view on Jesus there? Um, so the, the, the third perspective we look at is liberation theology. Liberation theology is explicitly a materialist viewpoint. Unlike these other things. Unlike these other theological frameworks. So liberation theology would say, you know what, it's all well and good to be awake. That's all fine. But let's say you're, you're a woman who's in an abusive relationship. How are you supposed to find your connecting with the ground of your being or, for instance, go be awake when you're in an abusive relationship that you can't get out of? Sometimes the problem is not just a spiritual interiority, but actually a material world around you. If you don't have food to feed your family, if you don't have a way to make any money, if you don't have a way to actually get access to medicine or basic health care, those material needs become spiritual very quickly. And actually, to find God is more than about just being awake. So liberation theologians say, again, the basic emphasis is liberation from oppression. And who is Jesus in this context? Jesus is Jesus, the liberator. He is the one who helps free people from oppression. And Jesus does that in two different ways. The first way is uh, liberation theologians are big into this sense of Uh, There's the same message that Martin Luther King King Jr. says, that the, uh, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. There's a sense of eschatology in most liberation theologies, saying we're moving towards something. We're moving towards a greater liberation in the world, greater justice. We are moving in this direction. And that the presence of the resurrected Christ is actually in the world. That presence of liberation is there, and it's leading us in that direction. It's leading us there. So if you are John the Baptist sitting in prison, and you're feeling under oppression, you might realize that you may not be someone who'll be freed from oppression, but you're part of a larger movement, something bigger, a spiritual presence that you're a part of and in Jesus you get access to that gives you hope even in the midst of great oppression that you might be there and gives you hope and strength to actually stand up and work in that process of liberation. And liberation theologians are big on saying, Jesus has to be, we have to think about images of Jesus that actually are aligned with this model of Jesus as a liberator. So, for instance, one of the things I talked about a couple weeks ago when I introduced this is black liberation theologians say, if you want to think about Jesus, Jesus is black. We need images of that in our churches of Jesus being black so that people who are living under oppression as people of color can look at that and say, Jesus knows what my experience is like, and he's fighting against it. When I was uh, visiting a friend in Pine Ridge Reservation a few years ago, You taught at a school called Red Cloud Indian School, which is a Jesuit school that's at Pine Ridge Reservation. And as you walk into the chapel at Pine Ridge, all of the Christian imagery there is all Native American. And you don't actually realize how much impact Christian symbolism can have until you walk in a space that's different. And that's done intentionally because the Jesuits there that lead that worship space want the students to know that when they walk in there, Jesus knows their experience. He knows what it's like to be Native American in the United States today in the 21st century, and He wants to lead you out of oppression. A theologian that uh, is always a challenging one is uh, Marcella Altus Reed. Fifteen years ago, she wrote a book entitled Indecent Theology. And she pushed her fellow liberation theologians to say, okay, you talk a lot about, say, for instance, freedom from oppression for women, freedom from oppression for poverty, freedom from oppression for people of color. But you know what you leave out, says Marcel Algeuse-Reed, is the whole sex part. You still want us to feel ashamed about sex, that women should be ashamed of their, their, the sexual aspects of their bodies, that other people should be ashamed of, sort of sexual aspects. This is in, this indecent theology. If you really want to have liberation from oppression, people have to feel comfortable in their own sexual selves as well, and so Marcella Altus Reid likes pushing the boundaries in, in this theological system. So she's like, Can you see Jesus as a lesbian? Can you see Jesus as someone who, uh, or as, as she says in rather crude terms, can you see Jesus the faggot? Can you see that? You think about the great image in the 1980s of Jesus hanging on a cross covered with the lesions of Carposis sarcoma at a time when. Society had basically rejected those suffering from HIV and AIDS. Can you see Jesus in that setting? If you can, that's what liberation theology wants you to think of when you think of Jesus. So what's John the Baptist supposed to do sitting in prison? What are you supposed to do? If Jesus is going to have any meaning for us in our lives, it has to have real meaning for us. Meaning that affects you in your life, in your situation, where you are right now. If that's not the case, then Jesus is irrelevant. And so now, as we try and prepare for the incarnation, the celebration of the incarnation coming up on Christmas, as as we prepare for that, the one thing that might be more important than anything else is to try and consider what this person, Jesus, might mean. Is Jesus someone who is awake? And is that framework going to change the way you read the the Bible from now on? Are you going to try and be awake too? Is Jesus the new being, the one who offers a promise of some sort of reunion and reconciliation in your own life? Is Jesus the liberator from oppression, an oppression that you might be feeling, or one who calls you to stand with those who are feeling oppression right now? This is Advent, time of preparation, a good time to consider these issues.